This episode, episode 20 of Dino Files. And on this episode, there are a few things that I want to cover. Uh, the United States leaving the Paris Climate Accord, that happened, uh, as did uh, the London attack, which I'm going to cover a little bit. And that's going to lead into a discussion about internet censorship, which should be an interesting discussion. There are two new bills introduced in the United States legislature that would protect police officers from. Uh, Legal action, if they uh, inhibit somebody's constitutional rights. And there's also uh, some news that came out about the United States government spying on journalists uh, in order to find leakers. So, a lot of interesting stuff happening. I really should have recolor balanced this video before I started, but I'm not going to. So, let's, uh, let's begin, shall we? The United States recently uh, decided to leave the Paris Climate Accord because, uh, well, Donald Trump says it's because of all the restrictions that would make it difficult for United States businesses and things like that, uh, all the carbon emissions uh, restrictions and all that stuff. So I'm just going to go ahead and look here at a, uh, at a story from Reason from December 14th of 2015 about the Paris Climate Accords. Now, I said on an episode of, uh, an episode of, I believe it was Quick, yeah, it was the last episode of Quick Hits, that these climate agreements never really amount to anything, that they don't tend to be very effective, and that nobody really cares about them in the international community. Um, so I'm just gonna go ahead and read a little bit from, da 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 Okay, uh, relevant portions from this in the archives of Reason.com. Paris was supposed to reverse the beggar other countries before committing yourself dynamic by taking what the New Yorker's John Cassidy has dubbed the potluck dinner approach. Instead of imposing legally binding emission cuts top-down, every country was asked to put in its own good faith uh, plan on the table. Even the notion of common metrics to evaluate each country's plan was abandoned, as was all talk of punitive sanctions. Instead, the hope was that ambiguous uh, I'm sorry, the hope was that ambitious targets by a few countries would put peer pressure on others to match their pledges and over time generate, as President Obama put it, a race to the top, just like Microsoft's Bill Gates' decision to give away a bulk of his wealth has now inspired Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg to give away his. But the crucial difference, of course, is that heads of states are not committing their personal resources, but their citizens. They score political points at home, not giving away the store, but by protecting it. Even the most committed leaders in Paris were not immune from such pressures. Consider President Obama, who is nothing if not a crusader on the issue. He issued a lofty philippic claiming climate change, quote, climate change could define the contours of this country more dramatically than any other. But this champions Paris offer to reduce America's emissions uh, 26 to 28 percent below the 2005 levels in 10 years is lower than the Copenhagen target of 30 percent. And he'll have difficulty pushing even this through a Republican Congress, which also incidentally fighting tooth and nail for Obama's three billion dollar pledge to the U.N.'s Green Climate Fund to help defray poor countries mitigation costs. Indeed, developing countries' insistence, led by India, that the $1 trillion Western aid over the next 10 years be made legally binding almost derailed the talks with Secretary of State John Kerry threatening to walk out. 
There was much high-fiving among global warming activists when, ahead of the Paris talks, China pledged to implement a cap-and-trade program in 2017 to limit emissions, but that was prepared over in order uh, to get the final agreement was the fine print, nothing that China won't... Whoa, what? But what was prepared over in order to get the final agreement was the fine print, noting that China won't reach peak carbon dioxide emissions until 2030. Until then... It is proposing only to reduce emission intensity, or emissions as a percentage of its GDP, by 60 to 65%. That is a less ambitious target than even its business-as-usual scenarios, suggesting that China is building a lot of cushion for itself to meet its phony cuts. India, which vociferously condemned Western pressure at Paris's carbon imperialism, uh, has refused to even set... A peak emissions target. It is willing to commit only to cutting emissions intensity by 33 to 35%, arguably a slower rate of improvement than it's, seven, than it's seen over the last 15 years. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin, who remains firmly on the global warming denialist camp, has offered an emission reduction plan that is actually an emission increase plan. Observing all of this, a frustrated Bill Gates lamented, it's nice for people to talk about two degrees, but we don't even have the commitments that are going to keep us below four degrees of warming. So... It wasn't going to do anything in the first place, which is what I've been saying. All of these people who are acting like the Paris Agreement was like the last best hope for us to not kill the planet or whatever isn't the case. It was never going to cause any change whatsoever. It was always going to be this way. Always. None of these countries made any real commitments to cut anything, including our own. Especially because the agreement's voluntary. You don't have to do it. You can just say you're going to. I don't recall China having implemented such a... Uh, it's 2017 now, and there's still time in 2017, but I don't recall China having implemented anything they said they were going to implement in 2017. So, it doesn't matter, and it never did. And this is what people want to freak out about. People want to act like this is the most important thing. This is what you're fighting for. Why? Never meant anything. Didn't mean anything to the people who made the deal. Why does it mean anything to you? That's the biggest question that I've got, and it doesn't... It doesn't make any sense, as far as I'm concerned, for people to try so hard to defend these kinds of deals when, just like this, there, nothing was ever going to happen. It was never going to be any good. Now, moving on from that, after the United States pulled out of this do-nothing deal, the uh, ACLU... <laughs> said something interesting. The ACLU, for this is from townhall.com, ACLU claims U.S. pulling out of Paris Climate Agreement is racist. The ACLU tweeted, uh, pulling out of the Paris Agreement would be a massive step back for racial justice and an assault on communities of color across the U.S. Okay. The left-leaning organization, we're not left-leaning. The ACLU is, as far as I can tell, pretty firmly in the middle on a lot of issues, but this is not one of them. Uh, the ACLU, I enjoy, I like the ACLU, I think they do good things, um, and then they do shit like this. So I see them as being pretty firmly in the middle, not so much left-leaning. But they went on to explain that that position, tweeting, drought, hurricanes, and flooding will impact every American, but climate change doesn't affect us all equally. Black and brown people are more likely to live near coal plants and have higher asthma rates than white Americans do, they added. That disparity is only going to worsen in coming years, and that's why we must uh, hashtag act on climate if we're serious about racial justice, they concluded. So, the ACLU, God, I don't, you know, there's a lot of people who read a lot into a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense, but I think this is pretty high on the list. I don't think there's any motivation to getting out of the climate deal 
that screw black people or screw brown people. I don't think that's the motivation here. I'm I don't know the minds of of Trump and his advisors, but I it doesn't make any sense to take that approach. Um, so I, I don't I don't think it's a racist decision. I think there's uh, other issues. I think I think trying to act like climate change and and climate justice is a thing is trying to treat a symptom of larger socio-political problems that lead to black and brown people living near coal plants and things like that. Those those are all those are all symptoms of of a larger problem, especially in the United States and especially with regard to poverty. So, moving on from there, I just wanted to read that. It's huh, the things some people connect. I just don't get it. Now, moving on to more upsetting news: the London attack. This is this happened just just very recently. In fact, I'm going to uh, wow, I just messed that up. I'm going to go over a timeline of this attack first thing, so that we can all kind of start from the same point and then move on from there. The timeline of events. This is from the Evening Standard. Dot, or, uh, standard.co.uk is their URL. Headline, London Bridge Terror Attack, Timeline of Events, and How the Horror Unfolded. So I'm just going to go through and read their timeline real quick. At 10.08pm on Saturday, police were called to reports of a van hitting pedestrians on London Bridge. The van then continued to nearby Borough Market, where at least three attackers began stabbing people. Witnesses reported several people being stabbed in a pub on Southwark Street. Now, I want to clear something up. Um, Tower Bridge is not London Bridge. Those are two different bridges. Um, people think that London Bridge is the one that's next to the tower that has all the, that have the big, uh, the big towers on it. It's built in between these two big towers and, and stuff. That's not London Bridge. That's Tower Bridge. These are two different bridges. Um, just want to clear up that confusion because I've seen some of it on Twitter and stuff like that. It's, that's not London Bridge. That's Tower Bridge. Armed officers spent the scene, uh, la. Armed officers sped to the scene and shot the three attackers at about 10.16 p.m. Six people were killed and 20 injured. At 10.14 p.m., six minutes after the emergency call, London Ambulance Service paramedics arrived at the scene. The wounded were taken to six hospitals across London. One of the wounded was a British transport police officer responding to the incident on the bridge. Police also responded to a separate incident in Vauxhall, which is believed to be a stabbing. It was later revealed that this was not connected to the terror attacks. At just after 12.30 p.m., Prime Minister Theresa May said the terrible incident uh, was being treated as a, as a potential act of terrorism. Shortly afterwards, police announced that both the London Bridge and Borough Market attacks had been declared as terrorist incidents at 12.25 p.m. Scotland Yard confirmed the third incident at Vauxhall, uh, I believe that's how it's pronounced, was unrelated. Assistant Chief Commissioner Mike Rowley said at 4 a.m. six people had died as he appealed for information. Anyone worried about friends or relatives can call the Met, the Met Police Casualty Bureau on uh, 0800-0961-233, Mr. Rowley added. On Sunday, the Prime Minister will chair a meeting of the government's COBRA Emergency Committee. So that is what happened. Uh, people died because of, the, of this terror attack. Another truck attack. These are becoming increasingly common. And uh, I'm not really surprised by that. Especially in countries that have pretty restrictive gun control laws, it, it makes sense that you would go to knives and 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 vehicles. Really, I mean, you're you're driving a two ton weapon when you're in a car, so it makes sense that they would go this way. I'm not I'm not saying it's good, but 
I am saying that it makes sense things would go this way. What concerns me about this? Now, terrorism, of course, concerns me. Radical Islam, of, of course, concerns me. All of this stuff concerns me. But the reaction to these kinds of situations is very, very important. How we react to these types of things are going to be what define not only foreign policy, but domestic policy in the future. Uh, the United States, I believe, made a huge mistake in all of the emotional turmoil following 9-11 passing the Patriot Act. I feel like that was one of the largest mistakes made in political history, the Patriot Act. I, I, don't, I don't think, looking back, it was a good decision. However, this isn't about the United States, this is about the UK. Now, Theresa May, uh, with the, um, oh, I can't remember what she called it, oh, the Conservative Manifesto. Theresa May has been a fan of policing the internet for a while now, but I'm going to read her quote after the attack. She said, quote, we cannot allow this ideology safe space it needs to breed. Yet that is precisely what the internet and the big companies that provide internet-based services provide. We need to work with allied democratic governments to reach international agreements that regulate cyberspace to prevent the, threat, the spread of extremist and terrorist planning. So that was what she said, blaming the internet for it. Uh, and it's it's true, these are typically planned on the internet, but that doesn't mean... Oh, there's all kinds of different ways to talk over the internet, over encrypted channels. And for her to act like further policing the internet is going to make it easier, or going to make it harder for people to make these types of plans, she's wrong. Uh, I, I mean, it's not hard to encrypt your traffic. It's not hard to encrypt your, your communications and you're not going to be able to break through it because a lot of these things are open source. Anyway, a lot of these methods of encryption and things like that, they're all open source. So you're not going to be able to dig in and find those flaws that would allow you to decrypt communications or decrypt internet traffic, because if they were going to be found, they'd already be found. And if they do get found, they're going to be fixed. So I'm going to read, I'm going to give a little bit of a history of of the uh, sort of internet, the hatred for the free internet <laughs> that the UK seems to have had for a while now. Now, the uh, the first real instance of this, uh, I'm sure if you've been paying attention to politics and, and internet censorship in the UK, you've probably heard of the Snoopers Charter. And I'm going to read a little bit about that right here from iNews, written by Rand and Williams, who's done a couple of articles about this type of thing, and, and they're both pretty good. Uh just reading from the article, the internet has become an unavoidable, integral part of our working and personal lives. The data collected on each and every one of us will draw an incredibly detailed picture of our shopping habits, interests, and hobbies, friends, sexual preference, the exact nature of our work, ultimately who we are. This is collected regardless of whether we are suspected of criminal activity and effectively creates neat data logs, which in turn are vulnerable to hacking by the very criminals the law intends to catch. There's an argument for nothing to hide, nothing to worry about, but it's important to remember that wanting to keep your private life private does not equate to a confession of wrongdoing. Logic dictates that if you buy into this mentality, you should share the passwords for your email addresses, social media accounts, bank accounts, and devices publicly. Nothing to hide, right? MP David Davis, speaking in 2012, said that the bill stood only to catch the innocent and the incompetent. The true criminals will be smart enough to work their way around the measures, while the incompetent will have been caught without the powers. The authorities should absolutely have the power and means to pursue those they have reason to believe are involved with terrorism and other criminal activities, but that should not extend to blanket spying on the British public. The technology giants are also against it. Numerous companies, including Facebook and Google, have expressed their belief in a robust legal framework capable of protecting people and their privacy simultaneously. 
Given that these two companies' entire business models are based around monitoring users' web behavior, then they oppose elements of the bill as lawless and heavy-handed. You know it's bad. So that's the Snoopers charter that people have been talking about for almost a year now, I think. Uh, just shy of a year. And uh, that's been one of the major moves in the UK to unmask traffic, especially private traffic. But there are other things as well. From RT, Theresa May wants sweeping new powers to control the internet. Toward the bottom of the Tory manifesto published on Thursday, Thursday from the time this article was published, which was 19th of May, 2017, uh, there's a technology section that clearly states the party's intent to control the online world through new regulations. Some people say that it is not for government to regulate when it comes to technology and the internet, the manifesto states. We disagree. Of course you fucking do. Senator Tories confirmed to BuzzFeed that the phrase actually means implementing new legislation that would allow the government to have control over any material posted, shared, and published online. The government justified its new manifesto pledge on the basis that online criminal activities should be prosecuted with the same severity as those offline. Our starting point is that online rules should reflect those that govern our lives offline, the conservative manifesto says. It should be as unacceptable to bully online as it is in the playground, as difficult to groom a young child on the internet as it is in the community, as hard for children to access violent, degrading pornography online as it is in the high street, and as difficult to commit a crime digitally as it is physically. The Tory advisors told, Buzzfe told BuzzFeed that the government would be particularly keen on snatching powers from internet giants Google and Facebook, which monopolize the flow of information online. They have not, by the way. There are many other ways to distribute information online. Tor, uh... You can encrypt your traffic, which I've done almost entirely. Moreover, internet companies and social networks would have to comply with regulations or else face sanctions. Quote, we will introduce a sanctions regime to ensure compliance, giving regulators the ability to fine or prosecute those companies that fail in their legal duties, and to order the removal of content where it clearly breaches UK law. Now, important aspects of that, much like with the... Uh, the uh, in the United States, the FCC rules regarding net neutrality. It's full of these little these little gotcha phrases where it says things like lawful content or lawful traffic or what have you. What it effectively does is it opens the door to regulation farther down the road. When they say things like lawful traffic or 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 lawful content, they can make hate speech illegal, and then the net neutrality rules would not apply to it, or or uh, you know uh, First Amendment protections would not apply to it. They can do the same thing with porn. They could do it with anything they wanted to, really. And the UK has gone that far. In the UK and and in the EU generally, their definition of hate speech online is very broad, and it is very criminal depending upon where you are. So they're, they're already censoring free speech. I mean, I've said it before. People in, in Europe don't give a shit about free speech. They never have. And we know this because they've allowed these fucking laws to be passed without voting their fucking people out. And, and Brexit isn't railing against that because the UK and the EU, the, the rules that they have about hate speech online, about unlawful content and what that constitutes, are almost the same thing. In fact, the UK might even be stricter because of all their uh, stuff with porn. All the stuff they're trying to do to get porn off the internet or, or try to limit access to pornography. They've never really cared about free speech. And when I say that, people act like they want to get mad about it. But why? Why? It's accurate. They've never cared about free speech. It got very bright in this room. Jeez. Anyway, this is one of the things that, that upsets me a little bit. I, I, can't, I can't really stand censorship. I just hate it. It doesn't make any sense to me. The, the idea that you can... Well, we know that prohibition doesn't work. 
It never has worked. And, and prohibiting speech, not only is that not going to work, but it's also going to narrow the discourse in a community down to the point where all you can talk about is what's already accepted. All you can talk about is what's already deemed to be okay to talk about. Guys like Sam Harris, uh, guys like Ion Her people like Ion Hersia Lee would not be allowed to speak some of the things that they say under some of these legal regimes. And this isn't some Eastern, uh, Eastern uh, autocracy we're talking about. This isn't some religious theocracy in the Middle East. This is fucking Europe. This is the UK. These places are supposed to be some of the freest in the world. I just don't understand the, uh, the, the, the ideology behind it. I think it's, it's sick, actually. I, I really do think it's sick. And it's just a complete lack of understanding by human nature. Complete lack of understanding. You are never going to be able to use prohibition to change human action. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with gun control. It doesn't work with, with uh, drugs. It doesn't work with anything. It didn't work with alcohol. I just don't get it. I think there's a, a level of stupidity and ignorance that makes people think that prohibition is the way to go. And there's a level of ethical... What I want to say, there's a level of ethical dwarfism. It's like it's it's these people are ethical midgets. They want to censor the speech of their fellow man. Why? Because you can't argue against them. Well, then maybe you're wrong. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I've said this on this show ever since I, I sort of rebooted it, and ever since everything happened that's been happening with Squarespace and all that, I've said the way that you fight bad ideas is with better ideas. The only solution to bad speech is more speech. You can't limit speech. You can't do it. It will not work. You're just going to be killing people for having opinions. That's how that ends. Anyway, so the UK, don't go there. I've been there, by the way. Luckily, I went there before all this. Okay, so moving on to the Washington Post. Now, this is the kind of thing that, uh, this is the kind of thing that it's, it's heated. It, it depends. It really, really depends on how you approach these issues, whether or not you're going to like this. But I personally do not. Um, sorry about that. I really I, I don't like this at all. So I'm just going to read from The Washington Post. A new, a new GOP bill would make it virtually impossible to sue the police. Keeping with the Trump administration's law and order rhetoric, Republicans in the House and Senate recently introduced a bill they're calling the Back of the Blue Act of 2017. The Senate bill was introduced by John Cornyn, Republican from Texas, and is co-sponsored by 15 senators, all Republicans. The identical House bill was introduced by Ted Poe, Republican from Texas, and includes five, this doesn't surprise me at all, by the way, and includes five co-sponsors, also all Republicans. As a person from Texas, the, the political response to the Dallas shootings was... Uh, Overboard, I think. Um, there is so much back the blue shit all over, um, especially where I am. It's it is ridiculous, and the, and it's because I think it was Texas and it was Dallas and stuff. I think if you went outside of the state or or maybe outside of the region a little bit, you wouldn't see all that. But it doesn't surprise me at all that that Republicans from Texas would introduce these bills. Back to the story. The bill would create few federal crimes. Well, no, I'm sorry. The bill would create new federal crimes, impose federal police over the will of local officials and voters and shield police officers from virtually any civil liability, even in cases of egregious misconduct. So I'm going to skip down a little bit. 
Perhaps the most disturbing part of the bill is the new restrictions it puts on suing police officers for constitutional violations. As we've discussed here several times before, it's already extremely difficult to even get in front of a jury with a claim against law enforcement, much less win an award. Police officers are protected by qualified immunity, which requires you show that not only were your rights violated, but also a reasonable police officer should have known that the actions in question were a violation of the Constitution. Under this bill, even if you can show all of that, the police can show that the violation and resulting injuries were, quote, incurred in the course of or a result of or related to conduct by the injured party that, more likely than not, constituted a felony or crime of violence, including any deprivation in the course of arrest or apprehension for the investigation, prosecution, adjudication of such an, an offense, end quote. Then the officers are liable only for out-of-pocket expenses. What's more, the bill would bar plaintiffs from recovering attorney's fees in such cases. This means that the police raid your home with a search warrant for pot and shoot you dead. Even if your family can show the shooting was unlawful, the police would be liable only for something like funeral expenses if they could show that more likely than not you had sold some pot or at some point possessed a large enough quantity of the drug to merit a felony charge. In some jurisdictions, merely resisting arrest is, is a felony. In theory, this could mean that under a scenario in which a police falsely arrest you, you resist, and then they severely beat you, if they could show that the beating was a result of your resisting, it's, and not the false arrest, you could be barred from suing for anything other than the cost of treating your injuries. If the, if the resisting charge could be filed as an assault, that's already a felony in most judications, and even where it isn't under this bill, it would become a federal felony. So... <sighs> There's much, much more to this, and I recommend you go read the Washington Post article. But this is happening, and it doesn't surprise me at all, because it's already... Look, it's already hard enough to take the police to task for, um, let's say, failures in the line of duty. It's already hard enough to... If you're falsely arrested, it's already hard enough to prove that you were kidnapped, because a false arrest is effectively a kidnapping. And sometimes you can make that argument... And But more often than not, you can't. And it's difficult enough to, to get that in front of a jury and a judge who's going to be on your side. And again, the whole jury that has to be on your side. And this this is just stacking the deck against common people. And, and I'm not going to say there's racism in this any more than I'm going to say that leaving the Paris Accords is racist. I think there's just a lot of pro-police shit going on in government that's completely unwarranted and uncalled for. The police are already almost entirely protected from any legal recourse for their actions. E effectively, a cop has to rape somebody to go to jail. And that has to be able to be proven because the police always get the benefit of the doubt. Always get the benefit of the doubt. And so I just, I'm, not only do I see this as unnecessary because it's not going to change anything, it's, al it's already almost impossible to get your case heard by the police, but it's also going to make it nearly impossible for people who have been assaulted or who have been beaten or whatever to make these kinds of cases because all the cops have to do is stack up charges against you, resisting arrest, uh, impeding investigation, whatever it is that they want to say. The type of things that they say when you tell them that you don't have to present ID unless they can articulate reasonable suspicion. <laughs> these kinds of things, it's, it's going to be next to impossible. And it just shows that the interest in the United States, especially with regard to police and police action, the interest is not... In justice, the interest is in protecting the thugs that they've hired to uphold their often unjust laws. The interest is in protecting the gang of the gang, the armed gang that they've hired to kill, steal, and uh, 
and abuse the public with in their interest. Um, again, I think it's worth worth uh, mentioning consistently that you're ten times more likely to be killed by a cop than a terrorist. Just saying, and it's you know that's a that's an apples to oranges comparison, but it's true. All this moral panic about terrorism and all this other stuff, and yet cops kill more people than that on a daily. Okay, so I'm gonna move on to the next story, and the next story is about leakers. Man, look, I love me some leakers. Uh, they're some of the coolest stories that I've had the opportunity to cover. And some of the most interesting reading I've done are in leaked documents, leaked emails, uh, leaked classified information that have been pub- that has been published by places like WikiLeaks and and stuff like that. Those those are some of the most interesting things I've ever had the chance to look at. And I read a lot of law. I read a lot of uh, you know treaties. I try to read the Paris Accords. It's stupidly written. It's it's hard to hard to understand, but. I like to read this kind of stuff, and, and the coolest stuff is what's leaked, because that's the stuff they don't want you to know. So I'm going to read from the New York Post. I'm probably just going to read the story in, in whole cloth, and, and this is a story that is uh, titled, The Government is Spying on Journalists to Find Leakers, from uh, John, John uh, Crudell. Go, go read that. Uh, let me... Okay. There was a big ruckus four years ago when the Associated Press announced the telephone records of 20 of its reporters had been subpoenaed by the Justice Department. The government was apparently looking for, a, for CIA leaks about an operation in Yemen. Well, a Washington source of mine tells me that it's happened again. Or it's happening again. The Justice Department has gotten a warrant from the U.S. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, also known as the FISA Court, FISA Court, to conduct electronic surveillance on a group of journalists who have been the recipient of leaked information, the source said. The journalists are not the target, according to my source, and I say thank goodness for that. Instead, the Trump administration is looking for the leaker. Who could it be? So, we know that, uh, that, that, of course, journalists are going to be spied on because I'm, I'm sure, and here's, and here's it's other governments as well. There's not, it's not Trump that's doing it. This is a government type of action, and governments do this all the time. It's part and parcel to government trying to protect itself from the truth, from losing the faith of its population that it's worked so hard to build and to uh, sort of brainwash or, or, or force onto the population they control. It's not difficult to guess that this w- would be happening and that this was always happening. But I just thought that was interesting that there's a guy who says there's a source. Now, that's the thing too. This story is predicated on a guy who says there's a source. So you, you've always got to approach that with a uh, reasonable amount of suspicion or, or uh, skepticism. But... I've got no reason not to believe it because it seems exactly like what they would do. That's pretty much all of the stories that I wanted to cover today. And uh, I do not have a guest today. I will be having a guest next weekend. And I will be doing another Quick Hits and releasing another video over the next week before I record next weekend, either Saturday Sunday, to release either uh, Sunday or Monday. And that will be the extent of uh, what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm still trying to get these machines all set up. I'm still trying to get my recording all planned out. One thing I will say is that the live streaming has gone much, much better today than it has in the past. Even though I look red as hell. I'm looking at this video right now. I look so red. I really should have color balanced this before I started. But, um... That's really all I have to say for today. Go ahead and uh, keep an eye out for other stories that I'm going to be doing. Keep an eye out for other podcasts that I'm going to be putting up. 
And uh, go ahead and give us a like and a subscribe if you can. That'd be great. I'm trying to get the YouTube channel sort of off the ground and rolling. And I don't want that to be uh, a sticking point for me. I'd like that to just kind of build on its own momentum. So thank you all very much for watching. And uh, you have yourselves an excellent day. I'm, I'm really excited to be back doing this again. Can't wait to see you. Welcome to AIR, Alternative Internet Radio. We are the podcast network that brings you listener-supported podcasts. Every show on this network is supported exclusively by their creators and their listeners. There are no ads on this network. That means the podcast is the product, not you. And remember, AIR is always looking for new shows. If you've got a podcast or you want to start a podcast and you feel like you would fit well with our family, then what are you waiting for? Send us an email. Our address is admin at AIRAD.io. That's admin at AIRADIO.